This morning we have a heart check as we look at the parable of the sower. And we know that our physical heart is such an important thing to take care of. I was looking at some statistics and one out of five people die from heart disease in the United States every year. So 20% of deaths is from a heart disease. And spiritually we can have a heart disease, can't we? And just as much as you take inventory of your physical heart, we need to take inventory of our spiritual heart. Everything really flows from the heart. We're told in Proverbs chapter 4 to guard your heart because out of it flows the issues of life. Pay attention to your heart. What's going on in your heart? Is your heart in love with Jesus? What are the areas that God wants to convict and and challenge our, our heart? We're told by Christ to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. God wants us living from this place of the heart. So Jesus addresses the heart as he gives us the parable of the sower. Before we get into the parable of the sower, we're introduced to a little bit more of Christ's team, those that are supporting his ministry. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Jesus got this instruction from the Father that he wasn't to stay just in one community, but he was to go from village to village, city to city, proclaiming, preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom. May we never forget that the kingdom of God involves glad tidings, that Jesus brings good news. Have you had a few times in your life where you had really good news that you couldn't wait to share? You got a promotion, you got this job, you you were blessed, some good news, you can't wait to tell your spouse, your kids, your family, your friends, your parents, I got this good news. And that's Jesus. He's the, the solution. He's our savior. He died for our sins. And sometimes when we're talking about Jesus, especially to unbelievers, we almost feel a little bit bit ashamed. Like, could I tell you about Jesus? Like, here comes some bad news, right? You're not at the dentist office, right? You, You didn't just get news that you have to have a root canal. Like, this is good news. Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. And and we get to share the glad tidings of the kingdom. So this is Christ's calling. And it's our calling as well. And a certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. So Mary Magdalene is part of this team that is supporting the ministry of Christ. And she has quite the testimony. She was filled with seven demons. When I look at demon possession in the scripture, you open up your heart and your life to darkness. You open up your heart and your life to the enemy, similar to how you would open up your heart and life to Christ. And so she was filled with seven demons and Christ set her free, cast out these demons and also healed her of physical infirmities. This really fits with the end of Luke chapter seven. When you have sinned much and been forgiven much, you love much. And Mary Magdalene is this amazing woman of God who serves Christ, and we see her at the crucifixion of Christ, at the burial of Christ, and she's the first one to encounter Jesus in his resurrected state. She just stays at the empty tomb, so broken that the body of her Lord has been stolen from her perspective, and Jesus calls her by name. So Mary Magdalene, this amazing woman of God, that God transformed and changed her life, 
and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. So Joanna is supporting the work of Christ, and her husband is Herod's servant. Now, I can't help but think this is part of the impact of John the Baptist, because we know John the Baptist was arrested by, by Herod. But here's one of Herod's servants that's serving the Lord, and his wife is supporting the ministry of Christ. Sometimes we get discouraged and we don't think that God has influence in very dark places. I think God's got believers all over the world that he's working in every facet of life. And you may find yourself in Herod's house in a sense. You, you feel like, man, I'm working for Herod. This is a really dark environment. No, you're working for Christ. Amen. And you're that salt and light. And the Lord's doing a work in, in a lot of secular places, just like Herod's house. Here's Herod's servant that is serving the Lord. And Susanna and many others who provided for him from their sustenance. Substance. Substance. There we go. <laughs> they are touched by the love of Christ to the point where they're giving. They're giving financially to support uh, the ministry of Christ. Now, the 12 are with Jesus, but there's this support system behind the work of Christ. And this shows the body of Christ. There's Peter, James, and John, but not everybody's Peter, James, and John. There's some that are more in the public role, and there's some that are more in the supporting role, but all are so important to the Lord. In verse 4, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. People are coming to hear Christ from all over, from every city. They're gathering. There's, there's a huge multitude that's gathered to hear the message of Christ, and he speaks in a, a parable. And you might be asking, well, what in the world is a parable? It's one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching is he would tell a story. And he would tell a story that could relate to everyone, and that story would have truth. It would have spiritual impact. So he shares this story in verse 5, and a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Jesus gives this story that everyone could relate to, this of farming. They're living in an agricultural environment. Many of them were farmers or familiar with farming or had farmed at, at some point in time. So, so Jesus gives this story of the seed and a man who went out to sow his seed. In the time that I've spent over in Uganda, I actually find that their culture fits really well with the parables. They're living a life that, that's similar to the life in the time of Jesus. For us, it's like we don't really have a lot of background with farming, most of us. When COVID really hit in Uganda and the country got shut down in a much more brutal way than it did here in the, in the United States, they went out and farmed because they all know how to farm. They're like, well, we can't go to work, but, but we know how, how to farm. What if that happened in Colorado Springs? If the only way you could live is you had to farm, we'd starve to death, right? But in Uganda, they, they know how to farm and they have the soil to be able to do it. And, and this is the environment that Jesus is living in. Everybody understands farming. When we're communicating God's truth, we want to try to communicate it in stories that people can relate to. As you have kids and, and you're thinking, how do I communicate them 
the message of Christ is try to fit this model of teaching of Jesus is, is what's a story that my kids can relate to that I can give them a, a spiritual truth. So the seed goes out, it falls on the wayside, and it's trampled down and the birds of the air devour it. If you're out hiking at Ute Valley Park or Pulpit Rock or Palmer Park, a lot of these great open spaces that we have in the city, think of a trail that's well-worn that everybody walks on and a seed falls onto that trail. The, the ground is hard and the birds of the air come and quickly take that seed. Some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. So there's no root. The, the seed goes onto this rocky soil and is not able to penetrate in deep. And some fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it out. So the weeds, the thorns come and choke out the seed. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So some of the seed falls on fertile soil, good soil, and it yields fruit, it grows. And the key to the parable of the sower here is at the end of verse 8, where Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you listening? The word of God is going out. The word of God is the seed. But are we, are we hearing? Are we paying attention? Is our heart open to the Lord? Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3. And at the end of each letter, he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, what's God's Spirit saying? God's Spirit is speaking, but are we listening? In verse 9, then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? I'm so thankful that the disciples asked. If the disciples didn't ask, we wouldn't get the interpretation from Jesus. We wouldn't get the instruction from Jesus. The disciples would often ask, and I think it shows the authentic relationship where they had with Christ, where they were willing to ask questions. And we need to go to the Lord with our questions. You're reading the scriptures, you're studying the scriptures. Lord, what do you mean? I don't under, understand this. Lord, this is happening in my life. I'm, I'm confused. Would you give me guidance? We'll learn so much more if we, like the disciples, are willing to ask the Lord the question. And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus says to the disciples, to them it's been given to know the mysteries of God. God has been gracious to open up their, their understanding. But then to the multitudes, Jesus chose to speak in parables, and he quotes Isaiah 6 verse 9, because a parable tests the heart of the listener. How so? Because Jesus just tells the story, and then he wraps it up without explaining it, and you're going to have to press in to understand the meaning. So some would hear the parable and go, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about. I'm out of here. And then there would be others that would go, I wonder what Jesus meant by that parable. I wonder what the seed represents and what the thorny soil represents and, and what is the, the good soil. God wants us to pursue him. He wants us to draw near to him. And the parable is really that, that test. It's that filter to see, is someone just going to get discouraged and give up? Or are they going to press in 
and want to know more of what this, this parable means. So now we get to the explanation of the parable. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So the seed is the word of God. Seeds are amazing, aren't they? It's been a few years since we have uh, planted a garden in our backyard and in, in our garden beds, but, but we enjoy that. And when we were doing that, it always blew me away, the seed, right? Amber would be much more involved with the planting. And then a few years ago, like, I'm going to get out there and plant some seeds as well. And man, these seeds are so small. You know, even a seed that's fairly large, like a pumpkin seed, is pretty small. But you think about a seed going into the ground and then what happens, God brings the increase and there's this plant and then something like a zucchini grows and zucchinis are monsters. It's like this came from this, this little seed and there's so much power in the word of God. You know, from a physical perspective, we go, man, the word of God is fairly small, but it's so powerful. When it goes into our hearts and our lives, it's absolutely transforming. The gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And as we trust him for salvation, that we're completely forgiven. Man, no better news than that. The word of God, it's a seed, but as it goes into our hearts and lives, it's so powerful. The multiplication that, that takes place from that, that seed. We're going to see four different heart conditions. In verse 4, those by the wayside are ones who hear the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So the first heart condition is a hard heart. A hard heart. The soil that has been trampled down. So the gospel is shared, but immediately someone's like, no, that's not true. I don't believe Jesus existed. I don't believe Jesus is God. I don't need him to die for my sins. I'm a good person on, on my own. And as soon as there's that hard-hearted response, then Satan's right there. Satan is represented in the birds of the air, and he comes and steals away the gospel, steals away the word of God. So that can happen in an unbeliever's heart. Maybe you haven't made a choice to trust Christ as your Savior, and your response has been one of rejection. Well, the enemy's quick then to come and and steal God's word from you. You could have a different response today. Today could be that response of, man, I want to trust Christ for salvation. But this also happens to us as believers as we're reading the word of God. And this is why the parable of the sower is so very important, is because we can be spending time in God's word, we can be hearing God's word, but it can have no impact because of the condition of our hearts. The problem's not the seed. The seed's good. The problem is not the word of God. The word of God is good. The problem is, is my heart, right? That's why you can have people who read the scriptures, and after reading the scriptures, there's, there's no heart change. There's no, no life change. And you can have someone else who reads the, the same scriptures, and there's absolute change and transformation because their heart is open to Christ. Their heart is open to uh, the word of God. And th this is why it's so important that each of us do a heart check because is my heart hard as a believer where God's word is being spoken into my life? I'm reading it. I'm hearing it in settings like this, but I'm having a response of, of unbelief. Maybe it could be you're reading instructions on marriage. 
out of Ephesians 5. And God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, submit to your husband. And as a believer, we can have a hard-hearted response to that and go, Lord, you don't know my spouse. (laughs) I'm not going to try to live, live that out. And then here comes the birds of the air. Here comes the enemy and snatches the the word of God out of our lives. We could be in a place of anger or bitterness and we read a verse in the Bible about forgiveness and God wants to set us free from that bitterness and we go, I'm not forgiving them. There's no way that I'm forgiving them. And it's that that hard-hearted response and then the word of God is stolen out of our lives. We can read commands to go and share the gospel And we could respond in a way, well, well, God can't use me. There's no way that God could use me. And and here comes the birds of the air. So that hard-hearted response is going to result in God's word being stolen out out of our lives. The next heart condition is a shallow heart in verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. In Matthew 13, it's a parallel text to this. In verse 21, it says, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So with this shallow heart, the word of God goes in, And at first, there's a great response. And it's an emotional response of, oh, this is so good. Jesus is so good. He he has forgiven me of my sins. Or or the word of God, it's so good. God, you're right. This this is true. But then what happens? There's a time of testing that comes because of the word. Because you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. Because you're trying to live out the word. And because God's word hasn't gone very deep, then the response is, well, I'm giving up. Well, I I tried Jesus and and that didn't work. So now I'm moving on to the next thing. And ultimately there's there's no fruit. And for us as a, a believer, sometimes this can be our response to the word of God. Again, going back to God's instruction on marriage. Maybe you hear God's words on marriage and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna try to live that in my marriage. And things actually get harder. You're like, oh man, we're trying to do things God's way. And now things are actually worse in our marriage. I'm going to punt. Forget it. I'm going to go back to doing it the way that I've, that I've always done it. But ultimately, then we, we miss out on, on the fruit to, of God's word. And so as we examine our hearts, we go, Lord, do I, do I just have an emotional response to your word, but there's not a lot of follow through? Is it, it is a shallow heart? Or is when I hear your word, is there, man, Lord, you love me and, and I want to see this through for the long haul. So that, that's the second condition of the heart is the, the shallow heart. And the third is the crowded heart. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. A crowded heart. What are... Th- What are the weeds? What are the thorns? Well, it's the cares of this life. It's riches and it's the pleasure of life. Matthew puts it this way, the deceitfulness of riches. So what are the cares of this life that can choke out the word of God? Laundry. (laughs) 
laundry's just eternal, isn't it? It just never, it never ends. It, it never goes away. Utility bill, right? What happens if you forget your utility bill? They will get a hold of you, right? Your, your mortgage, your, your rent, making sure you've got gas in your car, your oil change. You can neglect your oil change for a while, but eventually it's going to bite you in the rear, isn't it? Groceries. I was at Walmart yesterday with my daughter, Eileen, and it was so busy. I'd never seen it so busy. Like the self-checkout was like 30 people, like turned around the corner. So then we found our way to a checker, a real person, you know, because that was shorter. I guess it's not very popular to actually use the checker. But so he was sharing with me starting January 1st that when you go to the grocery store, we, we have a new state mandate that's coming where if you don't have your own bag and they give you a plastic bag, it's going to cost you 10 cents. Like that's the cares of this life, right? Like, all right, now I'm going to pay 10 cents for, for a bag at the store if I, if, I don't, if I don't bring one. Well, Pastor Eric was talking about heart disease and one out of five people die of heart disease and I got to start exercising. That's the cares of this life, right? It's like, it's wise to, to exercise. And the list just goes on and on and on and on. And they're not necessarily sinful things, but it's easy to get through a day. And it's like, I haven't spent any time in God's word. God's word literally got choked out of my life because I'm so busy with all of the cares of this life. And Jesus told us, he instructed us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. So when we start to think about our day is go, okay, Lord, I know there's this temptation for the cares of this life to choke out my relationship with you. So Lord, help me to place you as my priority. If one thing happens today, it's going to be some time in God's word. It's going to be time in prayer. If one thing happens in my week, it's going to be time with God's people. I'm going to come and worship. I'm going to study the word of God. I'm going to put my relationship with the Lord as, as the priority. But honestly, that's where the battle is, isn't it? It's really hard to do that. And it takes the Lord's help. It takes us saying, Lord, I'm choosing this because otherwise the cares of this life will just totally come in and, and choke out the word of God in our lives. The other thing that comes in is the deceitfulness of riches, right? The deceitfulness of riches. Riches really are false advertisement. We're warned by Jesus that you can't serve God in money. So it's this pursuit of money above our relationship with Christ that will choke out the word of God. Does money rule my life or, or does God rule my life? Paul wrote and he warned us about trusting in uncertain riches. Just look at the stock market and the way that it goes up and down. Look at property values, the way it goes up and down. Riches are uncertain. Where have I placed my, my trust? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money in and of itself. Money's a tool that needs to be managed for God's glory. But the love of money is, is a real problem, isn't it? And we might be thinking that riches can satisfy, and that's deceitful. They can't satisfy. We might think that riches provide security, and that's deceitful. Riches can't provide security. But is riches choking out the word of God in my life? Has it, has it become an, an idol? And the last thing that Jesus mentions is the pleasures of life. The pleasures of life. God has created all things for us to enjoy. So it's not wrong to 
Enjoy pleasure. Enjoy golf to the glory of God. Enjoy a vacation to the glory of God. Enjoy a good meal to the, to the glory of God. The problem is, is when it's the pursuit of pleasure above our relationship with Christ. And Solomon is the example of that, where he's trying to find meaning outside of his relationship uh, with Christ. And sometimes, especially in our culture, we're always just chasing one pleasure after another. We're very susceptible to all of these heart conditions, a hard heart, a shallow heart. But I think especially in our culture, we are susceptible to the crowded heart where the weeds just come in and choke out the word of God. Our first house uh, years ago in the, the Colorado Springs was in Knob Hill, if you're familiar with that neighborhood close to the Olympic Training Center on the east side of, of Union. Small house there, and it, it had been a drug house and a rental for seven years, and obviously the price was right, and we were young, and I was a youth pastor, and God provided, and we were able to buy uh, this house, and it was a, a real fixer-upper. And In the backyard, there were weeds up to my waist. That's pretty impressive when you're six foot three, right? (laughs) And we wanted to put in some grass. We wanted to put in some sod. But the only way that we could put in sod was we had to get rid of these weeds. And there was a whole season of just weeding and putting down kills all so that the next season we could put in fertilizer in the soil and plant grass, plant sod. Now, one of the great things about being a youth pastor is high school boys will work for pizza. Right? It says, hey guys, I'm having pizza. You want to come over? They're like, yeah, for sure. We'll be there. Now, when I call my friends and like, hey, you want to come over and do some weeding for pizza? They're like, no, I'm, pre- I'm busy. Sorry, man. Not, not doing that, right? But high school boys were, were all over it. And as we think about the word of God and we go, man, is the word of God impacting my life? Is the problem the word or, or is the problem my heart? Maybe something's going on in, in my heart. And there's some weeds that God wants to pull out uh, this morning. I remember I went to a, a pastor's conference years ago and the pastor was sharing about a time of burnout in his life. And he was saying that he'd gotten entirely too busy to the point where he wasn't hearing God's voice. And he had to slow down the velocity of his life to be able to hear God's voice. And Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. You know, part of being able to, to hear God's voice is not just taking the time to be in God's word, but giving God my attention. There's way too many times where I'm reading God's word, but my heart and mind is somewhere else. And then at the end of the time of reading, it's like, what did I read? And to really say, Lord, I'm, I'm giving you my ear. Lord, I'm listening to what you would have for me. In the Old Testament, when the priests would be anointed as priests, there was something kind of strange that God had them do. From the blood of the sacrifice, there would be blood that was placed upon their right ear and their right thumb. What was God saying? God was saying, I want your ear and I want your hand. I want what you do with your hands and and your ear. I want that to to belong to me. And does God have our ear? So we're so distracted. And I think our phones get the best of this in a lot of ways as well. Because you finally get done with all the responsibilities, the cares of this life. And you're like, I've got a little bit of time on my hands. 
And what do we find ourselves doing? Well, I need to check this email. I need to respond to this text. And then somehow that works its way over to Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. And I'm not actually looking for a road bike, but in that moment, I'm looking at road bikes, right? And then that goes over to Realtor.com. And we're not looking at selling a house or buying a house, but, but now I'm looking at Realtor.com. And then well, what's going on at ESPN? Oh, the Broncos are lousy again. And, <laughs> and then you go a little further and you jump over to something else. And all of a sudden there's a half hour. You know, all of a sudden there, there's an hour that, that's gone by and I'm, I'm completely distracted. And so as we look at our hearts, where is it that God in his love for us would, would want to pull out the weeds, pull out the crowdedness of our lives so that we can be still, that we can sit before him and his word can penetrate our hearts and our minds. The last condition of the soil is verse 15, but the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So this is the open heart. Notice they, they heard the word. They're listening. They got ears to hear. And as they're listening, they have a noble and good heart. And this is meaning that, Lord, I want to believe it, I want to receive it, and I want to live it out. And the fruit comes, notice, with patience or endurance. Fruit doesn't happen immediately. A lot of times we get discouraged. Okay, I'm reading God's word. I'm believing God's word. I'm attempting to live God's word. But where's the fruit? Where's the life change? Well, it comes with patience. It comes with time. It comes with, with endurance. But this is the soil that we long to have. This is where we want to be before the Lord, that his word can be planted in our lives and can bear fruit. In verse 16, no one when he... No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. So what's the purpose of the word of God in our lives? What's the purpose of a relationship with Christ is that we would shine, that we would radiate the love of Jesus Christ. You wouldn't light a lamp and then put it under your bed. You don't use your flashlight and stick it under the, the bed. You turn your flashlight on your phone and then stick it under the bed. No, you're going to have your flashlight out because there's, there's darkness. And the word of God shines in a dark world. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever doesn't have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Verse 17, the heart is going to be revealed. There's, there's nothing that's secret. We tend to think there's, there's something called secrets. No, God sees and knows everything and he's going to reveal it. And he's going to reveal the condition of my heart. He's going to reveal if it's hard. He's going to reveal if it's shallow. He's going to reveal if it's crowded or he's going to reveal if it's open. It's all going to be made known. And here's the challenge. Jesus wraps up this parable of the sower here in verse 18 with saying, hey, be careful how you hear. Take heed how you, you hear. Because if you're hearing the word of God and you're hearing God's voice, then that's going to lead to more. God's going to dump more of himself and spiritual understanding. But if we're not listening, we're going to actually lose what we thought 
that we had retained about a knowledge of God. That's why it's so important to, to be listening. And isn't listening something interesting, you know? When I think of, am I a good listener or not? I don't know, right? And this is, really gets revealed by our, our families. Sometimes our, those that we love the most, they're, they're talking to us, but we're not paying attention. And the great thing about kids is they'll call it out. And it's the tone in which they say, dad. It starts off with, dad, hey, dad. Oh, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. Hey, dad, right? It's like, oh, oh, yeah. Are you talking to me? I, I miss that, right? And then there's sometimes where it's like, I'm pretending to listen to enough where I kind of get away with it. Then I walk away from the conversation. And it's like, I don't really know what they said. Like, Amber might be going, hey, can you pick this up for me at the store? Yeah, I get to the store. I don't know what I'm supposed to pick up at the store. Because like I was I really wasn't listening. So I got a call, humble myself, like, what did you need? Could you so now I just say, could you text me? Just text me what I need at the store, right? <laughs> but that happens all the time. Where you're like you're like giving the body language that you're listening, but but you're not really listening. It goes to that Char Charlie Brown zone. Wah, 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 right? But it's so refreshing when you're heard, right? It's so refreshing. When a spouse, when kids, when a friend, they give you their attention and, and, and they're listening. They're, they're glued in on what you're saying. And so God's saying, hey, listen to me. And that listening is that key to opening up our hearts to be planted in. It's interesting how this section ends with Christ's family. In verse 19, then his mothers and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. What an interesting response from, from Christ. Hey, your mom's here. Your brothers. Your half-brothers from Mary and Joseph. They, they, they want to see you. And Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And this is why this is so important with the parable of the sower, is what's the motivation to really hear the word of God? Well, what's the motivation to allow God's word to, to impact us? It's closer relationship with Jesus. What Jesus is saying is, I am really close to those who hear my word and walk in it. 1 John 1 says that God is light. And as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with Christ and we have fellowship with one another. Is this just legalism that's thrown on us that we need God's word in our lives? No, this is a love relationship where Jesus died for our sins. And he's saying, these are the ones that I'm close to, the ones that value my word, the ones that hear my word and do it, that walk in the light. Okay, Lord, I wanna be close to you. I wanna have greater fellowship with you. So I want to hear your word. I want to hear your word and I want to walk in it. I think you've probably noticed there is a huge spiritual battle when it comes to the word of God. The word of God is truth. The seed is good and it will change and transform your life. Set out to read the word of God every day and the enemy is going to attack that time. Absolutely. Set out to make a commitment to be in God's house, to hear God's word be taught and be in fellowship. And that's going to absolutely be attacked because Satan knows the power of, of the word of God. 
but it's absolutely worthwhile. And we, in our humility and weakness, can go to the Lord and say, God, would you give me a hunger for your word? Would you give me a desire for your word? Would you give me an ability to understand it? And would you give me an open heart to be able to receive it? So we're going to celebrate communion together. And as we celebrate communion together, first is we're all going to partake together, which is super awesome. So you're going to be served communion and you'll take one uh, set of cups. There's the juice and then the bread is underneath. So you'll Take one set of cups as it's uh, passed uh, to you. And what makes us brothers and sisters in Christ is communion. And we're going to celebrate that together. The unity of the body of Christ. But as communion is passed, let's allow the Lord to search our hearts. Let's allow the Lord to do some heart surgery to reveal where our hearts are hard, where our hearts are shallow, where our hearts are, are crowded, and give him our attention. And I know that this is kind of hard, especially in a, a setting like this, is if you're like me, you're already starting to think about lunch. It's possible that your phone has been buzzing in your pocket or purse during this time. You're starting to think about pole position in the parking lot and like, can I be the first to get my kids out of children's ministry? I don't want to stand in line and get out to my car and, and get on with, with my day. And the Lord's saying, hey, I'm here. Be still. Listen, what is it that God wants to speak to you? What, what encouragement does he, he want to give you? And in communion, we think about his broken body. We think about his, his shed blood. We never want to get away from the gospel. What is this Christian life all about? It's not about our works. It's not about our performance. It's about a loving God that gave his son to die for my sins and rise again and as I trust him, then all of my sins are forgiven. And that's why we remember communion. We search our hearts and confess sin and allow the Lord to give us forgiveness afresh and lift our heads. And it may be that you don't know Christ as your Savior. And as we take communion, this is an opportunity in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to Christ. Not to me, not to anybody else, but to Jesus and say, Jesus saves me. And from my heart, and ultimately from God's heart, I want you to hear that God loves you specifically. Life really matters to God because he created you, and he created you in God's image, and then he gave his son to die for your sin. Sin is when we disobey God, but it's also when we miss the mark. I think if we're honest, we agree with God's word that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God in his justice has to hold us accountable to sin. And the Accountability for sin is eternal separation from God. But God doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want us in that place of darkness. He wants us to be his child, so he sent his son. So would you make that decision to turn from sin, to trust Jesus, to believe that he died and rose again? And maybe up until this point, you have had more of that response of, you know, Jesus isn't for me. I'm not ready to surrender to Christ, but, but this morning you're at a place where I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. For those of you that are at home as well, I'd encourage you to, to raise your hand to the Lord to pray with me. The Lord, Lord sees you. And this is God's heart. He's bringing people to himself to forgive sins, to be in the relationship with your Savior. For those that are believers, if you'd be praying with me, and let's pray together, and if you'd like to respond to receive Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you, you died for us and rose again. And Jesus, would you communicate your love? 
your death, your, your resurrection. If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, if this makes sense to you, would you just raise your hand and raise it up high? I'll pray with you. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Praise God. Awesome. That's God's good. Anybody else this morning that says, I need to trust Christ for salvation? Praise the Lord. See those hands in the back. For those of you that have your hands raised here in the sanctuary at home, just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God. That you died for my sins and rose again. I repent of my sin and receive your grace and forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. You can put your hands down. Jesus, I thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel as we trust the gospel, that we're saved, that we become your child, that we have forgiveness of sin. Would you bless those right now that have responded? Would you guard them from the enemy? Grow them in you. Would you bless this time of communion as we celebrate communion together? In Jesus' name, amen.